Hey, this is Melinda Elmer, president and CEO of the Elmer team. And if you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven-figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm really excited to get into today's episode. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or maybe you just want more and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. All right, let's do this. Today, I'm speaking with a really good personal friend of mine, Melinda Elmer. Melinda is ranked among the top 1% of real estate agents in California and nationwide. She has consistently been awarded accolades and has been recognized for her outstanding achievements by the Women's Council of Realtors, Century 21, and other organizations. Melinda is a multi-year recipient of the prestigious Los Angeles Magazine's five-star rating with an ultimate goal of complete client satisfaction. Melinda has surrounded herself with a small and experienced team of highly skilled professionals who work together to ensure that their buyers get the best deal and their sellers get top market value and most importantly, great customer service. Melinda, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I know you're busy and I really, really appreciate you earmarking the time. And, you know, we've known each other almost 20 years. Yep. Long time now. Yeah. I mean, you've seen me through uh, some successes, some failures, some ups and downs. And I've seen you through starting out in real estate and building your empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a lot has changed in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has. And uh, you also have a new addition to your family, uh, a little rug rat, your 18-month-old son, right? Yes, yes, definitely keeps me busy in my free time. <laughs> and how has that impacted your pursuit and managing your business and everything, having a little one around? No, I think it's actually given me more drive to succeed because 
and to be more efficient, if that makes sense. Because um, uh, I think back to this one year when I did AIDS Life Cycle, this bike ride from San Francisco to LA, and um, the training that was involved was very intense. And so it made me stick to a really regimented schedule. And I feel like I got more done. That was one of my best years that first year that I did that because I had to get everything done in a certain amount of time. Hmm. And as you know, as well as I do, that that the stuff that we do expands to fill the time that we give it. So the more with my work schedule now, I mean, I start working at eight and I stop working at 5.30 and I have to get everything done during that time. So it really forces me to figure out what is the priorities and not delegate or don't do the rest. And um, that way I can spend my evenings with my son and my wife and not be running around and still working while I'm missing time with him. I mean, he goes to bed at eight, so I only get two and a half hours and I want to take advantage of that time that I spend time with him. I love uh, it. So that's really important to me, but it really, like last year was my best year in real estate ever and I pushed into seven figures. So making that jump was huge and, and I did it with a little one at home. <laughs> you, wait, 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 wait. You did it with a little one at home who was yeah. still an infant during a pandemic. Right, right. Okay, that's insane. Let's, let's look, I, I, I want to shelve this because there's a lot of mompreneurs that, that listen to us, a lot of women who, who are juggling kids at home and, you know, a lot of professionals with with kids still at home and homeschooling them. So I wanna shelve that for a second. I, I, I want our listeners to really know who you are and get to know you. Because when I met you, you were just breaking into real estate, right? Right. And, right. and it's not like you jumped in in a market where, let's face it, in Southern California, realtors are like 7-Eleven. There's one on every corner. I right? don't work like cockroaches were ever. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say that, but <laughs> it's true. I mean, every way, every meeting I go to, every network meeting I go to, everything that I go to, there is always other real estate agents there. Yeah. Oh. So, so you, you step into a saturated marketplace as a newbie, right? Mm -hmm. And success didn't just fall on your lap, right? No, I worked really hard. Um, I mean, I, when I first started out, part of the reason that I started out, I, I was working as a theatrical stage manager and um, I decided that I wanted to buy a house. Well, I stumbled into a real estate agent. I, I think I met them at a kiosk at the mall or something like that. I don't even really remember. Um, but I stumbled into this real estate agent. I met with them briefly. They basically told me that I needed to buy a condo. I had no desire to buy a condo. I wanted to buy a house. I didn't care where it was or what kind of neighborhood it was in or frankly, how big it was. I just wanted a little box on a piece of land that I could build stuff in my backyard, that I could grow things, that I could do all that stuff, that I could work on the house and upgrade it. And um, they just kept telling me, oh, well, you should buy a condo. I was like, you're not listening to me. <laughs> so, um, so I... 
I did never talk to them again. I wonder who that person was. I, I honestly don't even remember. And um, I think they were Century 21 because I think I had a gold jacket. But um, the, I just, yeah, I just walked away from them. And I, that early, that was the early days of the internet still at that point. We were like 2000 at that point, mm -hmm. 2001. And uh, I went online and I found HUD homes. I found foreclosures basically. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to buy one of these and I'm going to fix it up and I'm going to live in it. And I can just do it myself. I don't need an agent because they're not listening to me anyway my assumption mm -hmm. um again i knew nothing about buying real estate so i laughed at myself because i was being a total typical buyer thinking i can do this all myself without an agent because i don't want to pay them well i didn't even realize that you didn't have to pay an agent to help you to buy a property mm -hmm. the seller did that so you know a lot of my i had no clue what i was doing but i was just kind of that do-it-yourself person so i said okay well i'm gonna go and um, find these properties. And I was finding them and I was driving by them and checking them out and looking at them and everything. And I was like, these are great. Again, they were not in the best neighborhoods, but I didn't care, right? That was what was important to me. Mm -hmm. So I went and um, I couldn't make offers though on these properties unless I had a real estate license. So my, again, do-it-yourself logic said, well, I better go get my real estate license. Otherwise I can't make offers on these properties. Mm -hmm. So I went and I called probably four or five real estate offices. Only two of them called me back. And uh, one of the ones that called me back said, come on in, we have a class that you can take on your own course, you know, own, own schedule. And they gave me the book. So in between shows that I was working on, I would study and take the class and take the tests. And then eventually I signed up to take my license test. Now I'm still doing theater. I'm working at Disney and I'm working at a theater in the South Bay bouncing back and forth. So I would do that in the mornings and then um, do that in the evenings. Mm -hmm. And um, took my license test, passed it. Um, and then I said, well, okay. But when I was taking the classes, I thought to myself, wow, this is actually something that I think has a lot of similarities between what I did as a stage manager and real estate. Part of what I liked about being a stage manager was taking all of these different people and bringing them together and creating communication between them, making sure that everybody knew what was going on at all times, managing that, keeping everybody calm, you know, keeping the egos in check, that kind of thing. So there was actually a lot of similarities to me about real estate versus working in theater, just a different product. So I thought, okay, well, um, I want to give this a shot. So I was doing both jobs for a little while. I was working in real estate in the morning and then I was working in theater at night. I did one transaction, which was my brother, helped him buy a condo <laughs> and I got my first check and I remember it was like $2,000 and I said, that's it. I worked for like ever to get this $2,000. And in my theater job, that was, I mean, two weeks worth of pay. But in real estate, that was like almost six months worth of work. And I thought, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> real estate agents were supposed to make a lot of money. But after my splits and after taxes and costs, and I mean, that was 2000 was my net check to me. So then that wasn't even after Uncle Sam and everybody else took their portion. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I was like, okay, this is not gonna work if I'm only gonna make two grand. So I had, I had to really sit down and think about how I could grow that and do more than just like one transaction every six months or I was gonna start. So, <laughs> so I just, I, I actually got involved in a coaching program and the specific to real estate and that coaching program taught me scripts. It taught me what to say, it taught me how to have conversations with people. It taught me how to run my business like a business. Mm -hmm. And that system that was established and set up allowed me to treat my business like a business. I started my day at the same time every day. I end my day at the same time every day. I have hours. I, um, uh, I love, I call real estate agents sometimes, and well, obviously pre-pandemic, they would mm -hmm. be like calling, they'd pick up their phone and they'd be at Disneyland. Mm -hmm. on like Monday at three o'clock. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be working? But, um, you know, like that you would not catch me doing that. Like mm -hmm. if I specifically said, I'm taking the day off today and going to Disneyland, but I'm not going to answer my phone while I'm at Disneyland uh, doing that. So it, my business is very much structured and scheduled like I was earning a paycheck for that. And my, my sellers and my buyers want to know that I'm working to help find the right properties for them or sell their house. They don't want to know that I'm off at Disneyland or on vacation or, you know, taking a nap at two o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, that's just not, not, that not that you've ever had experience with other people on the other side ever doing that, right? Oh, other people do it all the time, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that is not how I run my business. Mm -hmm. And I just, I mean, over the years, I've been doing this for 18 years now. So over those 18 years, every year I work to just do a little bit better all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, but yeah, after I got that first check way back, I was just like, okay, this, there's, we've got to find a better way to make this happen. And that's when I got involved in the coaching. That's when I started learning about the scripts and, and how to structure my business like a business so that um, I could work on growth all the time. And so so I like to break this down because Mel and, and, and for our listeners, professionally, she goes by Melinda. She's a personal friend. I've been calling her Mel for 20 years. And, and it's funny because whenever I introduce her to people, people are like, Mel. And I'm like, yeah, you, you just talked to her. Oh, Melinda. So yes, I will bounce back and forth when I remember, I will call her Melinda and, uh, most times I'll call her Mel. So, so Mel, you, you've dropped a lot of golden nuggets in this. And, and I wanna kinda, kinda pick them up and, and represent them and repurpose them so that we can dig into each of them. First and foremost, you, know, you had a dream, a very specific dream. You wanted to own property and you realized you weren't being listened to. You know, this is, this is a mistake that so many business owners, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals do on a continual time. They, they are so caught in their product, service, and solution. They fail to really understand the need, the want, and the desire. And they focus on their pitch, they focus on their presentation, and they don't focus on the other side, the need. Right. So, so that, that just listening, listening is, is a huge gift that you just presented to our listeners right now. 
you know, I jokingly tell people you have two ears, one mouth, utilize them proportionately, right? Reality is as a sales professional, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you can't be everything to everyone. And you can be something very specific and very special to people who need want and desire your product, service, and solution. And you'll never know if you're not listening. Right. So that was the first golden nugget. I heard you drop the next. And, and this is where I relate a lot to you. You know, you had this dream and you realize that you weren't getting it by leaning on someone else. So you went after it yourself. And, and, and that's a key word there. You know, action is exactly that. It's not going to come to you. It's important for you to go out and grab it, seize it. And you also realized that you still had to support yourself while you pursued this dream, this passion of real estate. So you were parallel working two opportunities. You were supporting yourself through your theater job and you were working real estate. Someone who has built, you know, we now own seven businesses and one of them is a seven figure business. Another one is coming up on becoming a seven figure business. And uh, we also had huge growth with it last year and then several are six figures. I say that to say when, when PivotPoint, our, our training company and our coaching company, when it started, I was right in the middle of bankruptcy. I had a business partner embezzled from me. You know my personal story because yeah. you, you lived through it with me. You know, I, uh, my, my ex-business partner had embezzled everything from me, sued me the very next day. I spent four and a half years in court defending myself in federal court, got pushed into bankruptcy. And I had so many people come up to me asking me how I continued to create success. It really made me look at some of the things I was doing. While I was building Pivot Point, I knew that, you know, we had two kids. We had to eat. We had bills of a millionaire. We had to eat and keep our house and keep our cars. And so fast forward, I worked seven jobs. So a few of them were W-2 and a few of them were 1099. And one was direct sales and one was me building Pivot Point. And every time Pivot Point started making a little more money, whatever income that replaced, I would take that job, that W-2 or 1099, I would walk away from it and then allocate that time to Pivot Point. And that's how I kept growing Pivot Point. Reality was, if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. You've heard that adage, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. What makes you think that you had a drive that so many say they do, but so few take that action. What, what do you think pushed you into really being driven like that and going all in on both opportunities until you built your dream? Well, I would say at a certain point, I realized that I, it wasn't going to work very well for me to be working both jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so I did it for a while, but then at a certain point I said, look, um, I think this is something that I need to do. And in order for me to do it fully, I need to quit my other job. 
Um, I actually managed to convince my dad at the time to loan me $6,000 so that I didn't have a millionaire's budget. Fortunately, I was living in a tiny little studio apartment and, um, uh, and I, I quit my job, my theater job. I basically just cut the cord and said, okay, I gotta make this work. So it was really strong checkbook motivation. Um, that $2,000 from that first transaction didn't go very far. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe took care of me for a month and a half, but um, that loan, I really, like I hated borrowing money from my dad, but it was the only way that I could see myself being able to make that switch fully. So in order to do it, I just, you know, burn, what do they say? Burn the bridges, burn the ships behind you and just go for it. And so I had some serious checkbook motivation in the beginning. And um, my wife at the time, um, she flipped out. When I came home and said, guess what? I quit my job today. Uh, she was not very happy with me. Um, but I was like, no, trust me, I'm going to be fine. And I think that was it. Like I just had a belief. I knew that I was going to be fine and I could make this work. Um, and, you know, she had a background of her dad being in sales his whole life and always struggling. So she had that totally irrational fear that I was going to be the same way that her dad was. Mm -hmm. um, but I had every belief. I just had blind faith. And I don't know where it came from. I just knew that I was going to be fine. And I mean, I was in theater, I was making $30,000 a year. So, and I basically hit my ceiling short of me going on Broadway tours. Mm -hmm. So it's sad that, you know, $30,000 a year was the most that I could ever really make. Maybe I could have gotten up to 40,000, but I didn't want to tour. I didn't want to be on the road 365 days out of the year. So, um, so I made that decision to just cut forward, jump, leap, and I knew that I would be fine. Um, and then my first year I was getting rookie of the year awards. Um, you know, I sold like, I think I sold 12 transactions in that next six months, Wow. Uh, 12 houses. So six months, one house, because I was doing both. And then I realized, okay, I need to just make it happen. And then in the next six months, I sold 12 houses. And, so, and that, I mean, that's a lot for an average agent in a normal year. And that was my first really six months full-time at that point. Yeah. So, and, and I, I want to point out a couple more things. You, um, you realized very quickly, there were things that you didn't know that you didn't know. You know, I refer to them as the don't knows that you don't knows. I refer to it as blind spots. And because of that, you went out and inserted yourself in a coaching program when you were still experiencing checkbook motivation, right? So many people avoid investing in themselves because they can't afford it. They don't have money. They have a whole laundry list of excuses that prevent them. I'm going to make an assumption and I'd like you to elaborate that it was the belief in yourself that allowed you to insert yourself in a coaching program that exposed what you didn't know that you didn't know so that you realized you didn't know it so you could learn it so that you could then move forward and convert 12 transactions in six months, right? Absolutely. I mean, um, 
my credit card was maxed out. <laughs> I had I borrowed the $6,000 from my dad just so I could survive. And one of my friends invited me to this uh, real estate coaches seminar and he was having a free seminar. So I was like, great, I can go to that. I can afford that. I can afford that. <laughs> but there were 3,000 other people in the room with us. And I, um, because I didn't know, I commuted with friends. They, of course, were all late. Um, so we were literally sitting in the back row, maybe the second to last row, but we were in the very back. But I felt like this guy was finally telling me what I needed to do to be successful because everyone else in my office was buying pies for people. What were, I was like, I don't have any money to buy pies for people. And I don't know any people to buy pies for. So like, I can't, you know, how am I going to just create this group of people? I don't know anybody. I had moved to Long Beach and I knew no one here. Mm -hmm. um, I had a very small circle of friends at the time. I don't, we hadn't even met yet. And um, I just, I didn't know anybody. All the people I knew worked in theater and most of them were up in uh, LA, up in Burbank, those areas, very few of them lived in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, uh, I really just, I didn't, I was like, how am I gonna meet these people? And because this guy was telling me how to do this, I was like, okay, he's telling me what to do. This makes total sense. It's duplicatable, predictable business sense it is telling you. And it was just very clear to me. I thought he was talking directly to me in the very back row. So uh, I walked up to the table and said, I don't have any money, but how can I sign up? Nice. <laughs> and nice. I, I know people who, um, who convince other people to pay for them for their first couple of months. Um, I did, I couldn't sign up for the the one that I'm in now and still remain in today, but I signed up for whatever I could get into. So there was a, a program that was like 200 bucks a month or something. Like, so okay. you baby stepped it. I baby stepped it. I said, I'm gonna do this, but then as soon as I can, I'm gonna jump up to the to the best one because mm -hmm. it could be in the best one. Um, and after three months, I was able to jump up to the next mm -hmm. one because I was doing everything. I was religious about doing everything they told me to do. Um, because they, they, they had people up on that stage who were doing 50, 60, a hundred transactions a year. And I wanted to do like they were. So I figured if they were following all these steps, I could follow all these steps and it would happen for me too. So let's go back a little bit and, and, and touch a couple things you just brought up. You know, so many people who attempt, I'm going to use the word try, and I hate that word because there's no such thing as try, you either do or don't, right? So, so the, these people who attempt to invest in themselves and exercise personal and professional development, they, they baby step their learning by reading a book or listening to a book or, or buying uh, an inexpensive downloadable program or hopping on YouTube where it's free. And look, I'm gonna tell you right now, in my humble opinion, nothing wrong with that. I'm also going to put a huge warning label on there that if you're part of the problem, you can never be part of the solution. It's important to insert yourself into an environment where there is someone facilitating, whether it's a low cost group environment or whatever, because those problems are 
blind spots. And when I say you're part of the problem, you're gonna be part of the, it's impossible to be part of the solution. You need those blind spots exposed. So if you're getting 100% of your personal and professional development from reading or listening to programs or on YouTube, I can tell you, you're the common denominator in your success and lack thereof. So you're gonna be the common denominator in your development or lack thereof. Do you think Absolutely. that's a fair statement? Yeah, I think it's really critical to have accountability mm -hmm. and someone who can call you on your shit, if I can say that. Absolutely, you can say <laughs> that. I say it all the time. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I've had coaches who fired me uh, when I was going through my divorce. Um, I had a coach who said, you're not doing anything that I'm, I'm asking you to do, so I'm transferring you to a different coach. And it really got my attention and she shifted me to another coach and I started, I woke up. I was like, okay, I farted around for a year and a half. Now it's time to get back to business. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to have that accountability, the environment. Um, I think it's great. I mean, I watch YouTube videos. I watch, I read books. i I don't, I don't watch the news. There's nothing good on the news. It's, it's so critical to feed your brain with those good thoughts, but it's also really critical, I think, to surround yourself with people who can call you on it when you're not doing what you should be doing and also support you, mastermind with you, um, and hold you accountable to what you said you wanted to do. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, I was mentored by Jim Rohn when I was younger and, you know, what he said to me stuck in my brain and I still exercise it today. And that's invest 30% back into yourself every year because what right. you feed grows and what you starve dies. And, and I got to tell you, it has paid me back a hundred times over. Looking at th this comment you made, it's important to run your business like a business. You know, I, 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 I say this on stage, I, I say this on the podcast, if you treat it like a business, it'll pay you like a business. And if you treat it like a hobby, it'll cost you like a hobby. I know that you're in an industry where the average salesperson, the average realtor does one to three transactions a year. Is that accurate? Yeah, the average real estate agent sells two to three homes per year. Two to three homes per year. And in... The pandemic and the heart of 2020. How many transactions did you do, Mel? 86. 86 transactions. So tell me what you mean when you say you run your business like a business. Tell me what that looks like. If I were going to a salaried job, I, I'm an independent contractor. And mm -hmm. a lot of real estate agents are treated that way. Independent contractor means you set the rules, you set your hours, everything else. I treat my job as if someone was watching me and because ultimately my clients are right. And they want me to go to work at the same time every day and end my job at the same time every day. And I have certain things that I need to get done every day. And I have a pretty strict schedule. If you, your schedule probably looks kind of like mine does. It is back to back to back to back. And, you know, I allow, yes, I allow for lunch. But usually during lunch, I'm either listening to an educational thing or a training from my office or something. So it's very often that I'm, there's very little time during that eight to 530 window when I'm just like 
doing nothing. In fact, mm-hmm. I can't do any time where I'm doing nothing. But there's always, even if I'm taking a break, I am feeding my brain with good information. Um, but my, but then I have to stop at the end of the day. <laughs> so I pack everything in. I have my to-do list. I get everything done. I'm not farting around on Facebook or LinkedIn or if I go on Facebook, it's because I'm looking for data mining. I'm looking for information. I'm trying to remember what that client's kid's name was, or you know, or you know, see if they had their baby yet, whatever that is, so that I can be having conversations with my clients. Um, so it's not, it's not that I am scrolling for hours through stuff or telling myself I'm doing something by posting marketing ads or something. Right. Um, I've hired people to do stuff like that, but I don't do it myself. Hmm. So you, you do what you do and then you hire what you're not an expert in. Correct. My job is to talk to people, Hmm. talk to people and set appointments and go on those appointments. So I'm negotiating contracts and I am looking for more business. That is my, I have uh, a small team that I work with as well. And their jobs are all very defined. It's you know, I kind of equate it to a doctor's office. I'm the doctor. I come in and fix all the, you know, issues and do all the negotiations and all of that. And then I have my, my nurse who comes in and does all the pre-testing and check everything out in advance. Right. And then we have our office staff who does all the billing, um, scheduling appointments and things like that. So mm-hmm. everybody has their defined set of tasks. And in fact, we all get cranky when somebody else steps on each other's toes and start doing other people's jobs. <laughs> my director of operations does not like it if I start doing her job and she kicks me. Uh, figuratively, of course, since we're all working remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know that, that's also part of her job is to keep me on task. And if I start trying to do other things, she goes, no, that's not your job. That's my job. I've got that handled. You get back to doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if I was going to a salary job where they were paying me that, they would have those expectations that I would get all this stuff done during the course of the day and I would be there on time and then I would leave when I'm supposed to leave and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. So I treated it like a business in that way. So in other words, you, you schedule, mm-hmm. you, you work your strengths and you hire your weaknesses or you hire what distracts you from your strengths you are you have a regimented schedule and you diligently work at being productive at revenue producing activities during revenue producing jobs and you have your your business segregated in three different departments department one operations department two administration and in department three uh, sales and marketing Right, right. So that's really running your business like a business and you make investments, right? Because yeah. reality is the, the solopreneur, the entrepreneur, the business owner, the sales professional that is doing their own books or doing their own social media or fill in the blank, doing something other than the voodoo that they do, they're actually costing money. They really are. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is an example. I mean, <laughs> Uh, one of my uh, coaches at one point in time said to me, 
I said, what are you doing, you know, at this time? And I said, well, I have to cook dinner. He goes, why are you cooking dinner? I was like, what do you mean? He said, why don't you hire somebody to do that for you? Mm-hmm. He said, how much do you make an hour? And I said, $500. He goes, so how long does it take you to cook dinner? And I was like, well, if I have to meal prep on Sundays, that's like three or four hours. And then like on Wednesday nights to do a little touch up to get me through the rest of the week, that's another hour. So he's like, so that basically costs you $2,000. <laughs> and I went, okay. He was, well, how much would it cost to hire a personal chef? I said, I don't know. So he made me go figure it out. And it was like, it was like $250, $500, something like that. I can't remember exactly. And um, I was like, oh, okay. So I can rest during that time so that I can be on my game or I can work my butt off all Sunday trying to cook for myself for the whole week. Or I could just hire this person to come in and do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally a blinding flash of the obvious. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Figure out what my time per hour. I mean, I hired bookkeepers and, and accountants long, long, long ago because yeah. I knew that that was not my strong point. Um, I mean, I used to spend two, three hours on Sunday mornings going through all my books and sorting and signing everything. I was like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would screw it up half the time. So then I would spend <laughs> more time trying to go back and fix it. And my accountant, who you know, um, was very nice and generous and would always help me figure it out. But um, he, he just finally said, you need to get a bookkeeper. And mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very coachable over that time when people told me that I needed to do things um, and I really evaluated. I mean, my getting the house clean. I still have a cleaning lady who comes to my house. She cleans my house. Yeah. If, I mean, she gets done for the amount, she spends like four or five hours cleaning my house once a week. And mm-hmm. if I did that, I mean, it would be huge cost, but yeah. she does it and it allows me to have that relaxing and recovery time when I'm not doing it well now it's just chasing a toddler around but um and then passing out afterwards but before that I mean I didn't need to spend all my free time cleaning the house so brought now, good. now we we have listeners that are like that's great you're successful so you can mm-hmm. afford that bookkeeper you can afford that accountant you can afford you know the the personal chef and the housekeeper what do you have to say to them because I'm fairly certain. I know what you're already going to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I, to me, it was a no-brainer. It was more expensive for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I couldn't do that in the beginning. Like one of my goals when I very early on was I really, I wanted to get a massage once a week. That was one of my goals to get to. But I had to start every other month. And I would get that massage every other month. And then I moved to getting it every month because as I started doing more and more, it helped me get to that next level. And then I went to getting it every two weeks. And then I went to getting it every week. So I, I, I was so proud of myself when I got a massage every week because I could afford it at that point. No, I might not be able to, if I'm just starting out, if I'm early on business, I have to be smart about my money too. Um, at the same time, you have to look at what's your hourly rate of pay within your business. And if it, if it's going to, you're going to step away from your work to go clean your toilets, when you can bring somebody in for probably a hundred bucks a month, it's a no brainer. Hire that person. It might be a stretch for you in the beginning, 
But if you really think about it, your time is way more valuable running your business than it is to clean your toilets. And their business is to do that too. I mean, I, I figure I have a whole economy going around me, so. <laughs> so, so what I'm hearing is teach yourself teach your budget, teach yourself to, to be able to afford it, to, to learn how to, to manage it. You know, we did the same thing. We went from, from the once a month massages to the every other week to the week. We went from having a housekeeper once a month to every other week to weekly. I would probably bawl my eyes out if I had to clean my house at this point. You know, something dropped in the kitchen the other day. My, my mother's staying with us right now because uh, she's going through uh, an illness and, and we're supporting her and helping her through it. And something dropped in the kitchen and she's like, honey, where's your broom and your dustpan? I said, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let me spend the yeah. next half hour looking for it. <laughs> well, in the so, beginning of the pandemic, we told our housekeeper not to come because mm -hmm. we were trying to shut everything down. And after like two and a half weeks, we were like, please come back. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have any cleaning supplies. I mean, we didn't have, we didn't even know where anything was or how to clean our floors. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a little one crawling around on them. So, and throwing things on the floor all the time too. So, yeah. but yeah, I think it's, I think, no, I mean, you know, when you're in your twenties and you're like, well, my parents did all these things, so I should be able to afford all these things. No, you can't just jump into doing all this stuff right away. You have to figure out what's your priorities. What are your big time sets? For me, at, at that time, I mean, I was doing about 40 to 45 transactions a year and I was meal prepping and it was taking me all Sunday to do it. And then mm -hmm. I would have to stop working at five o'clock and I'd cook until like nine o'clock at night. So I was like, this is, this is not working for me because I was spending all of my free time doing that. So at that point, I was able to say, okay, I'm making you know, $500 an hour, so I can afford to pay somebody else to do this. Now, in the beginning, I was probably only making, you know, $50 an hour. And in that case, it might not have made sense for me to hire somebody to do that other stuff because I wasn't, the value that I had at that point, monetarily wise, was not enough to justify bringing someone else in to take over. Yeah. But if you can justify bringing someone in and they're going to do it better and they're going to do it more efficiently and everything else. I mean, if I did all the stuff that my cleaning lady did, it would probably take me all day. Mm -hmm. And it would be a whole, and I would be in pain afterwards. I'd need a massage afterwards because I was <laughs> from all the stuff. So um, I'm much better off just doing what I do best and letting everybody else do what they do best. Yeah, I, I learned a long time ago, I stay in my lane. You know, I know my wheelhouse and I stay there when, when I was, you know, going through bankruptcy and, and uh, building my new business, I called a bookkeeper and I said, I know that I am far from what you do. I know I barely even know QuickBooks or what books are. I know there's categories. I know there's expenses. I know there's income. This is how much additional revenue I have left over every month. What do you need me to do? And what can you do for that? And she was very clear. You populate it and I'll go in and I'll just make all the tweaks. Right. And she did. 
until until then I could eventually start turning things over slowly. Teach yourself to afford things. I think that is a phenomenal gift to that that you just gave them. So I, I, I want to talk about a couple things. Number one, you and I both built our businesses very, very differently. You know, I bootstrapped my business in the beginning and leveraged networking and word of mouth marketing and referral marketing and uh, build a seven figure business 100% from handshakes and, and people referring me. You built your business from, I lovingly say, phone banging and, uh, and cold calling and just drilling on the phone, which is probably the scariest things for, for people. I think, I think you and I took opposite extremes. People are afraid to go out and really network and people are afraid to pick up that 10,000 pound phone and call people. Mm -hmm. So, so share with me uh, your experience in, in cold calling. Did you have the itty bitty shitty committee go off and, and throw obstacles at, at you that, that made it hard in the beginning or did oh, you just love the rejection? <laughs> oh, does anybody love rejection? No. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I feel like I did both. Uh, I did a lot of networking. I mean, I went to, um, things that interested me, obviously, because yeah. people know when you show up without integrity, right? Like if you show up just to get business, they know that. Mm -hmm. So I belong to um, a running club. Now I don't run unless I'm being chased, um, <laughs> but, but I would walk with the group and I was friends with people and we had a good time. And I wasn't, I wasn't just there to get business. Again, I, I think people know if you're there there was a guy who was there just to get business and everybody knew it. And he, they, everybody kind of stayed away from him because they always felt slimy. He, he felt slimy. Um, I was there because I truly liked the people. I appreciated who I was hanging around with. I would go to these Sunday brunches that were held all over town. I would meet people. I've come a long way in the last 18 years from knowing no one in town. And again, pre-pandemic, uh, when I first started dating my wife, we would go someplace and people would walk through the, the restaurant or the movie theater, the dark movie theater, or wherever we were, we would always bump into somebody and be like, hey, Mel, how's it going? Hey, how? And she was like, you know everyone in town? And there's 500 <laughs> people here. So, um, so, you know, again, I did do a lot of going out, meeting people, going to networking groups, going to different events and things like that. And I became very active in the nonprofit community here in town as well. So, um, and, and I was doing it because I was passionate about those causes, events, things like that. Again, not just going there to do business because I think there's a, I think a lot of people do go to those kinds of things, just seeking the business mm -hmm. and. And that's not an integrity with what, what you're there for. So, so that's one thing, um, my soapbox. Um, and then uh, I did, I spent a lot of time on the phones. When I first started again, I didn't know anybody. So it was either you call people you know, or you call people you don't know. And the call of people I don't know was a much bigger pool and it always will be. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't have anybody in the no, the people I knew bucket. Um, or the people I did know were all over the country. Um, so they weren't here. Mm -hmm. um, 
So yes, I remember I called this one guy and I, I had some clients who were looking to purchase a condo in the downtown Long Beach area. And so I got a list of phone numbers of people who owned condos in the downtown Long Beach area. And I started picking up the phone and calling them all and seeing if anybody was thinking about selling. And of course I caught this one guy on a bad day. He <laughs> ripped me a new one of how dare I call him at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. And, um, and I remember I was just like, you know, it was that paralyzed, like I'm talking to this guy on the phone and he's screaming at me and I'm just letting him scream at me. I don't know why I should have just hung up, but I'm just letting him scream at me and he's dropping F-bombs all over the place. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I didn't make any more calls that day. Hmm. The next day I came in the phone. And the funny thing was, I think I called him again, accidentally, like a week later. <laughs> And he was perfectly nice to me. I just mm -hmm. caught a bad day. And I think mm -hmm. that experience actually helped me see that sometimes you just catch people and they're having a shitty day. Mm -hmm. And other times, you know, you talk to them and they're a totally different person. So, and I didn't know these people. They didn't know who I was. So who cares? Who cares what they think? I mean, that was what I had to kind of tell myself. Sure, I had days where you want to call people and all of that, but the checkbook motivation I had, I had to, I had to get, I had to go out and find people or I was going to be on the street. Mm -hmm. So I, especially at, at the time when I first started, my wife got hurt at work and she couldn't do that job anymore. She was on permanent disability for workers comp and she came to work for me. So now I'm the only uh, breadwinner in our house. Mm -hmm. So I had to go make the money. Mm -hmm. If I didn't, we were screwed. Um, so I really didn't have a choice. And then ultimately we ended up buying a house finally. And again, I had to make the mortgage payment because she was relying on me too. And I mean, I think I just started creating that accountability within my life where if I didn't go to work every day, if I didn't make those calls and I knew how many calls I had to make in order to get an appointment mm -hmm. based on my skill level which obviously has gotten, it has gotten better over the years, but I knew that I had to, in the beginning, talk to 250 people before I could get an appointment. So it just became kind of a numbers game. I just knew I had to keep talking to people and keep talking to people. And eventually I would find somebody who needed my help mm -hmm. and that I couldn't worry about the 99 no's. It was the one yes that I was looking for. Awesome. So, you know, the numbers, right? Yeah. You know, so many people, so many people pursue sales by spray and pray and show up and throw up but you know they really don't know their their closing ratio you know and and knowing that you have to talk to x amount of people to get an appointment and that you have to have x amount of appointments to get a client that tells you what it is you get to do what it is you have to do to make what it is you need or want to make right 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 and so which leads me to the the thing that we threw on the shelf for a second you know in the beginning you talked about having the little rug rat you know your adorable little 18 month old son and you're at the heart of growth in your business right you're thriving on every cylinder your your business is primed pumped productive and then you got a little one thrown in so this is very equivalent to 
what 2020 did to a lot of professionals. We're gonna put everything on hold. We're gonna throw your kids into the equation. They're gonna stay home with you. And now you get to work from home while your kids are at home. You still grew your business. What advice do you have to the professional, successful or not yet successful, that have little ones at home or kids going to school at home and they're focused on maintaining their success or building their success or growing success? I think, I mean, I admire any parent right now who's homeschooling their children from home and trying to work. Mm-hmm. I, I feel very fortunate that, I mean, he's still little. Um, and, you know, we have a nanny who comes in and 7.30 in the morning, she's here till five o'clock every day to take care of him during the day. So, I mean, that was a scary thing for me too. I mean, hiring a nanny and entrusting his care over to someone else and, um, and also having to pay her salary. <laughs> I mean, in there's a checkbook way, motivation again, <laughs> motivation again. Right. I mean, it comes back to that a lot, certainly. Um, but you know, not everybody can do that or not everybody's comfortable bringing in a, a, someone outside into their home even right now too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know a ton of people who will like with a couple and they'll work in shifts. So, mm-hmm. um, one of my friends, he is, he's not, not at the level that I am, but he's still a very successful real estate agent in his own right. And he and his wife, they switch. So she'll hang with the kids for two hours and then they switch. And then he hangs with the kid for two hours and then they go back and forth and they just have a schedule set up so that somebody's watching the kid and then they switch back and forth. And his, his daughter is six months older than my son. So you know, they're in the same kind of situation. And then, you know, I think for, I can't even begin to speak to people who have kids at home other than the same kind of thing, you know, work, if you, if you can work for 30 minutes and go check on your kid and then come back and work, you know, whatever is appropriate for your child, because everybody's kids are going to be different. And some kids are going to need a lot more handholding and not. And I, I think that, you know, again, I'm not in that position, so I feel like I'm giving advice where I shouldn't be. I'd probably slap myself if I was in that position, but um, you know, I think it's just really creating that kind of expectation. If your kid's old enough to understand, say to them, hey, I need to go work for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever that is, and then I'll come back and check in on you in 20 minutes, and we'll have 20 minutes we'll spend together, and then I'm gonna go back and do what I need to do to grow. And the more that you can set up that expectation, that goal, and, you know, what do they get out of it even, you know, um, it's like, I bargain with my son all the time. I don't know if he understands or not, but I say, hey, look, we're going to go do this first. Once I do this, then we will do this. (laughs) And then, um, you know, and then I make sure I honor that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't lead into it. You know, I I said to my wife, I said, I'm going to be done at 530. I have an alarm on my phone that goes off at 530 that alarm goes off, I have to stop. Because mm-hmm. that's the commitment that I made. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that accountability again, right? That alarm goes off, I'm done. So well, in the other room, I'm, I leave out my office. So mm-hmm. um, I always just say, you know, to parents out there, I admire you, bless you all. Um, 
<laughs> I salute you and just create whatever structure you need to create to make it work. Uh, one of my friends is a teacher and um, she said that, uh, and she's a special ed teacher, special mm -hmm. needs. Uh, and um, she said she had one parent calling her in tears and saying, I'm gonna lose my job if I'm trying to, you know, keep my kid engaged in this class all the time. I just, I can't do it. And she said straight up to the parents, you do what you need to do to keep a roof over your head and take care of your child. Schoolwork comes last. So, you know, and then that kid did no more homework the rest of that year, but he still has a roof over his head. Mom still has a job. And I think she was a single parent too. So like, yeah, I mean, do whatever you can do and just, but don't let the circumstances be the excuse. Because mm -hmm. there's a difference, right? A lot of people, I think during the pandemic, I know a ton of real estate agents who just stopped working altogether. They were like, oh, we can do anything. Me, I, I took 24 hours. They, they told us, I remember the Friday evening, I got an email from our board of realtors and they said, you're prohibited from doing anything. And I pretty much said, uh, I have clients who are moving next week and that's <laughs> not an option. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that you told me that, but that, that can't happen. And mm -hmm. so I basically said to my team, I said, look, if you guys aren't comfortable going out in the world, I totally understand that. You can work from home. I don't expect you to go out in the world, um, but I will. If we need to go and do something, I'll be happy to go there and be the one who does it um, because it's that important. These people need our help. And especially with everything else going on in the world, they need a voice of calm and reason and we need to be there for them. And my team was like, nope, we were totally with you. We're on board. We're here to help them. They need our help. And everybody stepped up. Nice. Obviously nice. protections, but yeah. So, so you, you had said that, that you really can't relate to people and, and reality is Mel, you really can. You just picked an option called a nanny and you put a resource to a resource to alleviate you, to free you up, to stay in your lane, to stay in your wheelhouse. Right. You know, when, when, when my experience happened to where I lost my million dollar business and ended up in that lawsuit, my daughter was in kindergarten and kindergarten was half day at that time. And I couldn't afford daycare. So she went at what, 7.30 in the morning or 7.40 in the morning. And I had to pick her up by 12.30 every day. That, mm -hmm. was, that was a half, that was less than half a day, right? right? So I would go pick her up. I would bring her home and I would sit at the dining room table with her. She would do her homework while I would do my homework, right? right. And then, and then I, would, I would take her out to networking meetings with me. You know, I printed up cards with her that said, Vice President of Public Relations. I put my phone number on it, my email address on it. And she would walk around the networking meeting and hand out cards and say, do you know my mom? Do you know my mom? Right? right. And if they told her no, then she'd say, well, you should. And then she'd leave. And then the next day I'd get a phone call. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the cute little one. <laughs> and, and, you I'll know, remember I remember that for later. I know. Right. <laughs> Child labor is great. Right? He's already and, been in the videos for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I have, I have, uh, 
a, a director, an area director that, that runs uh, San Diego for me. And she's got three little ones. I mean, one's in first grade, one's in preschool, and one's a year and a half old, maybe a year old, 14 months, I think. And all three of them sit on her lap during every Zoom, you know, uh -huh. and, and she's just including them. So, so reality is, when you learn how to respond to circumstances instead of reacting to circumstances, you control the environment, the environment no longer controls you. So, exactly. Melinda, welcome to the signature question of the show. Okay. So, what is selling without selling mean to you? To me, it means listening to the client and doing what's right for them. Because I think that if I do what's right for them, then it will come back to me tenfold. Even if they don't end up buying or selling at that time, then they'll tell all their friends that I did the right thing for them. And, um, and then I'll get more business from it because I did the right thing. Fantastic, thank you for that answer. Now, welcome to the random round. Mel, I believe that success leaves clues and I'd like to ask a question or two to extract information from my guests so that the listeners can find things that resonate with them and that are congruent with them that they can possibly adapt into their life. So my first question to you is this, what's your morning routine look like? Morning routine pre-baby was very different. <laughs> um, I used to get up at 4.30 and go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And then I would come back, shower, eat breakfast. And then I would get to work um, at 7.30. Post-baby, um, my son likes to wake up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, typically. And we do everything we can to try to get him to go back to sleep. <laughs> And sometimes that means laying next to him and holding him or snuggling up next to him. Cause as soon as I move, he knows, and he wants to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. So we generally try to get him to sleep until six or six 30, but he's still, I mean, he, this morning he was up at five 30. He's an early riser like his mom. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if he is sleeping, then I get up at four 45 and I do um, the Miracle Morning from Hal Elrod, the Savers, the meditation, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then I switch, then I take care of the little boy while my wife does it. And then we shower, get ready, eat breakfast, and then uh, go into the office at eight o'clock. And when I say office, that means I walk down the hall and turn right and go into, <laughs> I guess, bedroom right now. Yeah, commute so, to the right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the commute's tough right now. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's definitely less structured than it was before, but out of necessity. And I know that once he is sleeping on a more consistent basis, then, I mean, I'm not just, usually when he's laying in there, and I'm trying to get him to stay asleep. I'm reading something good. Even if I can't get up and exercise, I will generally take him for a walk after when my wife is doing her stuff. Um, so at least I get the body moving a little bit or I'll do a mom and me yoga with him. You know, I do some kind of movement in the morning because that's so critical for some self-care for me. Um, 
and uh, I do meditation. At the very least, I do meditation, exercise, and um, uh, reading. Reading is my favorite part, and I could probably read for three hours in the morning if I could. Um, <laughs> but I just love, I like getting ideas, putting good stuff in my head in the morning, having some time for just myself, and then then I can get charged ahead and start taking care of other people. Nice. So I'd like to ask you one more question in a random round. And, and I know that you are a personal and professional uh, development junkie like I am. So how do you like to ingest your material? Do you like to read? Do you like to listen to Audible? Do you uh, like to go to live trainings when we're allowed? Do you like to do it online? What do you like? I like reading and Audible. Those are my two favorites because like I can listen to Audible while I'm driving or while I'm walking around the neighborhood with my son, things like that, or running or whatever. Um, and then I like reading because there are times when I can't be listening. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I absorb the most when I'm reading because I'm focused on it. I don't really like I like the in-person events definitely, but I just can't do those right now mm -hmm. um, because I can shut everything else off. I have right. a harder time with YouTube videos or online seminars and things like that because there's too many other things popping up. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I, Darren Hardy always has people like turn everything off and and uh, clear the calculator. He always says, um, you know, but um, even that is still hard to do when it's there's still things coming up and around you. So mm -hmm. it's so, hard to do. So Mel, I wanna thank you for coming on the show today. I know what your calendar looks like. Our calendars look very, very similar. They look like color-coded landing patterns at an airport. So, so uh, I really appreciate you coming on and, and allocating the time for us to have this conversation. I know that you're focused in Southern California specifically Orange County and Long Beach and parts of LA. I also know that you uh, have relationships all over the world and nationwide. So if someone wants to follow you, connect with you, reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can go to my website at uh, melindaelmer.com or theelmerteam.com and, or they can email me or call me. My phone number is 562-316. 2915, or they can email me at melinda at elmerteam.com. Your success is important to me, and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do a few things right now. I'd love for you to hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. That's hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, I'd love it if you'd head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction on both platforms. We also share different information on both platforms. So we look forward to seeing you there. Last and definitely not least, I love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes, and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this podcast more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you've always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. 
Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. I look forward to getting to know you. Always remember this. Choice is a powerful thing, and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.